Welcome to Market Mentors, a podcast for the marketing leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm Fiona Jensen, a director and co-owner of Market Recruitment. For over a decade, I've been helping B2B marketeers find the best jobs with great companies. Together, we'll discover how marketing experts reach the top and learn from their experience. Ask career-related questions you can't get answers to elsewhere. Be tough, be challenged, be mentored. What does wanting to be a force for good and holding an anti-establishment viewpoint have in common? Meet Paul Cash, the founder and chief rooster of Roosterpunk, the B2B storytelling agency, on a mission to humanise B2B marketing. Find out what it's like working agency side and listen as Paul uncovers the beating heart behind B2B tech marketing and what having a creative soul is all about. I'm here with the lovely Paul Cash Hello. in his offices at Rooster Punk. Thanks ever so much for having us in and for taking part in the Market Mentor podcast programme. Much appreciated. All good. Um, so if I flip it over to you so you can give the audience a summary of who you are and what sort of experience and insight they're going to get from you today. Okay, so I'm Paul Cash. I'm the founder of a business-to-business storytelling agency. I've been working in the B2B space for nigh on 23 years now. Um, It wasn't an industry I knew existed when I was at university. I think most people just fall into the world of B2B and you either sink or swim. It's an incredibly complex industry. It's full of challenges and moves with incredible speed. If you like those kind of things in your work life, then it's a great place to be. Um, My experience started life working at Hewlett Packard. As, a, uh, as an intern, effectively, as part of my sandwich degree, I did a business studies degree. I fell in love with technology, um, fell in love with Hewlett Packard as an organization, a very values-driven American company for your first job, an incredible organization to work into. Um, and then when I graduated from university, I'd always wanted to work in the creative industry. I've got a creative soul to who I am as an individual. And so working agency side felt something very natural. And after kind of 18 months of being like an account manager and focusing, working into technology companies, I decided to kind of go it alone. So the tender age now, when I look back with 24, 25, I set up with a, a business partner, one of the very first technology marketing agencies in the UK back in the mid 90s called Tidal Wave. We were two guys in a bedroom. We'd taken out a £5,000 business loan each. 3000 of that bought us a Toshiba notebook, which looked like bricks back wow. in the day, so we could be mobile. <laughs> yeah. And we set out on our journey, and we were incredibly lucky. We hit a market space that was growing at unbelievable rates. And we grew that business to nearly 100 people in the space of four years. And that journey, that ride, you know, was for good and bad, a defining part of my life. Um, And then I exited that business, sold it, set up another agency called Hurricane, exited and sold that business. And just over four and a half years ago, I set up Rooster Punk. The reason I've been on this kind of evolving agency journey is because at every life stage or every career point, something different or something new takes 
my particular uh, interest, and I've always built agencies around something that I see as being exciting or uh, has the potential to kind of change the way the B2B marketing is. And right now, here we are today talking about my journey, but Rooster Punk specifically, which is around trying to humanize business-to-business marketing. So that's my 23-year career in a nutshell. Very lovely. Thank you. Whistle-stop tour with the 101 questions there for from uh, myself in particular, I think. Like, how on earth do you go from HP to setting up your own agency? And now, how do you go about humanising B2B marketing, which, you know, from a sort of um, service provider or from a really large corporate perspective must be a little bit like trying to uh, get a tanker to change direction. It's uh, pretty tricky stuff. So uh, very interesting to hear about that and how you how you approach that yeah i think obviously the benefit i've had of being in this industry for 23 years you start to see things work in patterns and cycles mm. back in the mid 90s when technology as a sector was just being defined through brands like microsoft and oracle and cisco the fascination was with the technology mm. okay and everybody wanted a piece and the market just grew so quickly and the reason why we were probably successful at the time is that not many agencies wanted to try and get their heads around this complicated technology stuff. Yeah. And it took a few years for them to realise that it wasn't as complicated as it maybe sounded. And, you know, I guess in the 10-year period between 95 and 2005, while we were one of three agencies at the beginning, we were probably one of, I would say, three or 400 agencies a decade decade later that whole market space for agencies and suppliers to fill what clients needed had just grown massively what i learned through the process though was that back in the day the fascination around tech was around speeds and feeds and the focus on product and b2b being very sales dominated and i think we've kind of come full circle now and actually the fascination is less with tech specifically there are areas of tech like ai um, which are quite fascinating, but generally the humanizing of business per se to move away from being focused around product to being focused around audiences, trying to engage people rather than trying to sell to people, trying to uh, use stories rather than traditional messaging and value propositions, and just this notion that people don't necessarily want to buy from you anymore, they want to buy into you. And philosophically i think within b2b and within lots of marketing companies are slowly getting used to that idea now that it's not all about sell 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 and we need to try and shift the narrative away to something that is more human in essence and that's what we try to do as an agency and interestingly, certainly from the client side marketers that I talk to, I think historically a lot of B2B companies have been very sales led, but actually there's a real um, sort of change in axis, I think, now to being much more marketing led. Um, and I think that's because some of the great B2B marketing leaders are now getting to that CMO, getting to that board director level finally, and actually able to, to create that sort of mind shift and approach. Um, so, as you say, I think there's a lot more opportunity now for marketeers to influence that as well and yeah. to change that story. I mean, most of my career within B2B, I've worked within tech. It still mm. is the most dominant category within business to business. Yeah. Yet it's still a very young and immature category. It's probably only really been around, arguably, in its modern guise for 20, 20 years. So it has changed. And while that 
pressure to sell, sell, sell was part of the old school way, I definitely think the modern B2B marketeers think much more now about brand than they've ever done before. Mm-hmm. What I mean by brand is not just logo and colours and things like that, but the essence of who the company is and what it stands for, what's its position in the market, etc. Um, and especially with things like GDPR, where brands now can't just rely on just spamming people and sending out millions of emails, you've really got to consciously think about how to attract people to your brand and getting your story right and being able to show value as an organisation about what you believe is really, really important to customers who want to buy more into what you do than just uh, so why you do it rather than just what you do. Which is, again, a challenge, isn't it? Because the 80% of the rest of the business that you work within is going to be wanting to know outcomes and leads and revenue and, and value versus, you know, well, this is our new approach. It's a difficult balance and quite a tightrope, I imagine, in some companies. It is, and we have and we'll always have this clash between sales and marketing. And I think what has created that clash is, to me, whoever owns the emotion wins. And salespeople have always had emotion on their favour because they go in and eyeball clients, they sit over desks, they're able to build those emotional connections. Whereas marketing has, in most cases, done the more functional stuff behind the brand. But I think that is slowly changing. We're seeing now new trends in software as a service where sales teams are being replaced by websites that have a subscription service. So how do you get that emotion across in your marketing? And I think marketing is now becoming smarter about building those emotional connections with customers. And I think you know, brands that recognize that marketing's role is, is, is broader in terms of bringing those emotions into the business to support the product narrative are the brands that are going to really stand out and fly. Um, I think that's, you know, that's where we sit as an agency around storytelling. And, you know, this is all lead gen. At the end of the day, mm. we're all trying to grow. Uh, we're all trying to you know, help companies hit targets. But there's obviously many ways to do that. And we're just part of one of those newer many ways. Yeah, well, I think um, that it's a very crowded space, as you say, and then there's a lot of companies doing the same type of marketing often to the audience. So you have to think differently. You have to challenge the status quo and be brave in order to stand out. Otherwise, you'll just be an also ran rather than, you know, the outlier within any vertical or industry. I think it presents another challenge because most B2B organisations and technology organisations They've been founded or driven or run by engineers and scientists and those individuals struggle with the less concrete stuff. They, you know, they, they're scared by the fluffiness of what marketing might be, which is why the industry has always grounded itself around speeds and feeds and mm. uh, features and benefits about the known stuff. Um, and so opening people's eyes to there is another narrative of how people buy, how people arrive at decisions emotionally, not just functionally, is kind of the next big change that I see happening within, within B2B. Lovely. Um, so if people are interested in coming to work for you, <laughs> um, having interviewed a host of B2B marketeers over the years, what advice would you give them to uh, sort of perform better when they're in that sort of um, interview frame of mind? So I've got a few things because I've had good interviews, bad interviews, um, really good standout ones. I think it always goes down well by showing that you're more committed than any other candidate that you want this job. So what does that mean you do? So do you send something to the person you're being interviewed ahead of the interview to try and 
you know, stand out? Is it something you do in the interview itself or present or produce to show that you've, you know, really thought differently? Or is it something you send to them after you've had the interview? I think the challenge always is how do you stand out as a candidate? I look specifically for likability factor. Mm-hmm. That's something you probably either have or you, you don't have. Um, I very much focus on the type of person, not necessarily their skill set, and it depends what job they're coming into. If it's a graduate level entry, I'm really looking for a certain type of attitude that shows that you've committed to doing things in your career, um, whether that's sporting activities, being part of a team, or whether you've you know, achieved high excellence in academic qualifications, but showing some commitment to what you do. Um, through to if you're taking on more senior people, um, you're looking for the obvious things like track record, and but it's I get back more into the likability part. The agency world is very much relationship based, and so if you've got front of house people engaging with clients, there needs to be that kind of really strong chemistry, fit and feel um, to what you do. Mm. Makes sense. Um, and would you say that's that sort of general within the agency world, or is there sort of uh, valuable marketing skills that people can bring? If, yeah. if, for example, your client side and you're considering a move into agency, what would you say would be the sort of forefront, or what could they bring to? Yeah, I think the most valuable thing that any client side marketer brings into the agency is the client-side knowledge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we always talk about treading in the shoes of our customers and making sure that we understand the lives that they live. Without having that perfect insight that comes directly from a client moving into the business, a lot of it can be anecdotal and superficial and maybe agencies don't quite get an understanding of what mm. it's like to be a marketeer. And because the same was changing in the industry, you know, there's a constant need. I think when we look back to to Tidal Wave, which was the first agency, we had an amazing amount of clients who would come into our business. Mm. Um, And maybe that was one of the reasons we were successful. So Hewlett-Packard as a company had took on 90 interns every year. Mm. And 10 of those interns were going to the marketing team. So as an agency, we would always interface with these really bright young Mm. marketeers. And when they went back to university... That when they wanted a job again, they would invariably come to the creative agency who they work with. Yeah, yeah. So, and often a lot of their friends would also go back into HP. Mm. So we would take on two or three every year, which would give us direct access back into HP and it kept that knowledge flow, yeah. which is why we probably kept HP as a client for 10, mm. 15 years. Um, and part of that is we also took on two or three more senior clients and brought them into kind of planning roles mm. within the agency to uh, offer that kind of level of, of insight that goes from a more senior person as well. So I think if I was looking at it from a, a more mid-level marketing person wanting to come into agency side, mm. I think absolutely that insight they've got of how a modern B2B organisation runs, what they look for, um, and also knowing the value is that you might be able to get that agency back into that company yeah, yeah. from your own connections, obviously, is, mm. uh, is, is highly a good thing, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, so there you go. If you're interested in moving agency side, that could be a, a winner or a, or a good approach. Yeah. Um, for those that don't have a huge amount of experience around agency, you talked about a couple of roles there, the sort of entry level and the planner. What's the standard sort of setup of, a, of an agency? What types of roles and specialisms are there normally? So I think um, it breaks down to a few obvious areas. Mm. Uh, the client servicing bit, 
um, the entry levels there are kind of an account executive. Yeah. So that is coming into the part of the business that effectively runs projects, manages that client agency mm. relationship. So if you came in as an account exec, there's a lot of running around to do. What's good is you might get to work on one account, so you get a bit of a deep dive into the knowledge of that. I've always quite liked the account execs who want to work on two or three different types of business because mm. they get a feel for the kind of the different clients that, uh, that come in and it creates more you know, kind of interest in your day-to-day. There's people who are a bit more kind of salesy and there's, there's new business type roles. I think the new business role has changed in recent years. Um, you've now got to have some kind of level of expertise or domain sector experience to be able to talk and engage with clients rather than just be a traditional salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, planning, obviously, is a key part of what agencies do, and the planning function itself is very broad. Um, you've got your traditional communications planners who are there to provide that real insight into uh, you know, the mindset of a CIO or whoever that decision maker is. You've got data planners, you've got media planners, you've got social planners. There's a whole load of expertise, account-based marketing planners that really do offer excellent advice to clients about how to think about rolling out programs and running them. And then you've got your creative department. And uh, maybe less so from a client marketeer coming in, um, but those departments, client services and planning and creative in the best agencies I've worked in, they all work really well together. They're not silos. So the opportunity to start life as an account exec, move into role as a planner, and some people become really good copywriters. Mm. So you can, over your life stage, actually follow different directions within an agency hmm. um, based on whatever skills you, you pick up along the way. So there's um, variety there. Yeah. And also, I suppose, it's the the constant churn of uh, projects and clients that the exposure that you get can be a lot more broad and varied than if you just work for the same company. For- yeah, I think the kind of things I hear back from clients, the reason why they like seeing their agencies is mm. because, you know, we provide... Uh, a break from the humdrum maybe of their day-to-day and um, I've always kind of been taught the philosophy that um, your clients should really look forward to wanting the agency to come in Mm. it's kind of you know it's the best part of their week or the best part of their day so you really need to own that experience as an agency to think about right when I land at that client site what is it I'm bringing Mm. to the table how do I make them feel fun engaged and uh, you know all those kind of good things that they're looking for. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I agree on that principle. It is important that we bring that in and that we're seen to be the kind of uh, the sunshine, as it were, for sure. Yeah. Market Mentors is produced by Pod Audio, a subscription production service that takes the pain out of podcasting. From advice and support to editing and production to music and artwork, Pod Audio has you covered. Supercharge your podcasting. Just hit record and let Pod Audio do the rest. Pod Audio. Save time. Sound like a pro. These are sort of some of the questions that we get from the audience. So this one in particular um, could be interesting, actually. What do you do to keep up to speed with the latest B2B marketing practices? It is a good one. So I've always... I've always had a very strong view of the type of B2B marketing that I want to be part of. 
So I've never been swayed by necessarily all the noise and sucked in because mm. there's just a certain type of noise that I gravitate mm-hmm. towards. Um, there are obvious places to go to. Um, when I first started Tidal Wave, there was no body of excellence within B2B. And yet James and Joel at B2B Marketing have done a fantastic job over the past kind of 12, 13 years of establishing B2B Marketing as a central resource for all that is good within B2B Marketing. So nowadays, there's the B2B Marketing website, there's B2B Ignite conferences, there's the InTech conference. There's lots of places to go to just literally dive into what's happening within within B2B Marketing. And that is an invaluable resource. Um, I tend to read a lot. These mm-hmm. days, a lot of books, a lot of blogs, uh, listen to podcasts. Um, I try to vary what I read so that I'm opening my mind all the time. But like most people, I definitely have a cluster mm. of stuff that I like, uh, which is definitely more around the creative side of B2B marketing as opposed to the data side of B2B marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're all different. Everyone obviously gets a different kick out of reading the type of content that they feel is part of their own uh, genetic makeup, as it were. Um, but I think, you know, what I've tried to teach myself is to kind of read stuff that is very random and completely mm. goes against the grain, against the, what I understand, just so I can learn something new or different. Um, but it's, it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there's a lot of content out there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. But uh, no, it's good. So challenge yourself and, yeah. and read stuff that you think might be boring compared yeah. to just stuff yeah, yeah. that you want to read all the time. For sure. Um, what's the most valuable lesson you've learned in marketing stroke business and how did it come about? So I was always a very shy child. I don't know where it happened, but I was always the kid in school that had all the ideas in my head. But when a teacher asked a question, I would freeze up, okay? And someone else would answer it, and I'd go, oh, my God, I had that idea. And I guess through my early life at university, up until my first job, I still had a lot of that in me. And it was my first boss, and it was my first day at work, and I was put into a situation where I was asked a series of questions, and I was really nervous about giving my honest answer to them. Yet he was an incredibly giving person and showed massive empathy for my situation. And he really encouraged me to just let loose. Um, And I've never looked back from that moment. So empathy for young people and helping them find that thing that's really important to them, to let them express themselves even if they're wrong, even if what they say is stupid, you will get good stuff out of them. And so I'll say that kind of just, you know, empathy for people in their situation, especially young people, giving them the chance to express is a really important skill. And um, every opinion potentially can matter in marketing because no idea is a bad idea half yeah, yeah. the time. It's so just, yeah, yeah. you can't run with all of them. No, for sure. Um, what's the lowest point you've reached where you thought, is this really worth it as a career? So I've, I've lived a bit of a roller coaster of a life, um, highs and lows. Um, I had a high at one point where I was written a check for £19 million for the company that I had at one point, and I decided that it wasn't enough money at the time, which was a low as well as Surely a high not. in this moment. But um, in the same breath, you know, while I've made millions, I've also lost millions. I diversified my 
the money I had into property at a really bad time and lost millions on property, put massive strain on the business that I had, you know, being seconds from oblivion, like a phone call, and then having to rebuild that company back up. So um, stick to your knitting is what mm-hmm. I would say. Um, but um, yeah, so highs and lows, you know, made lots of money, lost lots of money, and somewhere in between all that is a nice place to be. <laughs> survived, it at survived, least. That's yeah. the main thing. What's the worst experience you've had working for someone? Or maybe we could flip that to clients, potentially. Yeah. I would say there's a, there's a defining worst experience. I say there are some, some annoying little niggles mm. that agency people have when engaging with clients, and that probably always gravitates down to a brief that you receive from a client often is a pitch brief and the pitch brief narrative is we want to do something completely different. We want to revolutionize who we are. We want to own this unique space in the market. And these are all the reasons we're going to do it. We want an agency to come on board and help us drive that. And I think most agency owners have seen that brief a thousand times and invariably while you have to answer that brief, the client never buys that solution. They always buy something which is a little bit safer. Mm. Um, And there's probably thousands of amazing campaigns that agencies have created for clients that have never seen the light of day. And that's been one of my biggest frustrations of the creative sector is, and it's not a fault necessarily of clients, but there is definitely a lack of bravery mm-hmm. that goes with being a marketeer within the B2B space that sometimes I feel the consumer CMOs have built into them a deeper sense of bravery and the ability to want to really push and stretch a brand to achieve its potential. And I think that's changing. Mm. I think we're getting now CMOs are coming into B2B and they're less scared about losing their job. They're more purposeful about what they want for their career or the vision they have for that company. And they know that they need to be brave to execute against that if they're going to shift the needle and make big change. So we kind of welcome getting those briefs again in the future where the intent to deliver against that brief is a lot higher than, uh, than it's been in the past. Because at the end of the day, all agencies want to do is be as creative as possible on behalf of their clients to help deliver that disproportionate economic return that is the reason why people still use creative agencies. Mm. Perfect. And you're so right. There are definitely a lot more senior marketing leaders in B2B who have had B2C experience. Miguel Adal, who was one of our first market mentors on the podcast, he's ex-B2C and is now at VMware in a senior marketing leadership role. And he's definitely, um, you know, pushing the needle and and changing the way things operate there. So uh, it's definitely happening. It's definitely out there. But... uh, as with all great things, it takes a while to get there. I know, for sure. How do you convince someone your campaign plan is the right thing to do then? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think the obvious thing to say is to try and make them think it's their plan and not your, <laughs> your plan. Um, because when, when people feel ownership, they're more likely to want to push you through and get people to support it. So does that take many lunches and many beers, potentially? Potentially, in some <laughs> cases. Um, there's all, you know, having worked in this industry, as I said, for many years, there's all different types of clients. There's the clients who want the big idea and they get really excited about just a creative piece. There's the clients who want the detail behind the big idea and there's the clients who just want the detail. And... I guess over time, agencies get to realise what's their perfect sweet spot 
type mm. of client. Ours is definitely the first two. It's the, the creative led or the people who want the detail behind the creative, not just the detail itself. Um, and invariably, it's a journey. I think in most executions of good campaign plans, it's a team ethos. You go in, you win a pitch. The CMO's got a strong vision for what they want to do. You've been able to deliver that with your creative work. Now you've got to kind of tie down the detail, make sure everything is kind of works, the resource and the budget that goes with it all needs to be managed. And that's when the kind of the client services team and the agency kick in and obviously the, uh, the marketing team within the client side as well. And so back to the idea, it's when you're doing something new, it's really exciting but when you're doing a new execution of a campaign, so you're losing different channels, different media you've never used before, there's a nervousness that goes to that because people don't necessarily have to measure things this time around. But to me, those are the most exciting things, stretching a client to go beyond what they normally do, no more same old, same old, and to try different things like, you know, whether it's account-based marketing or influencer media or storytelling, whatever the new techniques there are. Um, but it is easier said than done because clients are invariably nervous and they don't want to... Uh, necessarily back a, a, a horse that's not going to jump the fences and win the race for them mm, so mm. there's definitely kind of you know little baby footsteps that go into most new kind of campaign plans yeah start as you mean to go on though yeah how do you deal with all the noise and hype in the market balanced against the reality of day-to-day execution which often isn't given due care so i think i kind of touched on this before mm. i've over the time I've been in the industry, I've very much more of a philosophical view about what I think B2B marketing should be. And that is summed up in this phrase, the humanizing of B2B. So um, I tend to focus on those things which I think are important. And so when there's like, you know, 15 new techniques that are available, like account-based marketing or storytelling, I then think, well, what's the human side of that? So how does account-based marketing help humanize a brand uh, and once you start thinking like that you start to look deeper into the technique to try and find the nuances of how it works to be able to shape or add to the philosophy you've got and so if it can't do that so if I look at a technique that doesn't allow me to humanize a business then I kind of move it to one side um, so things I'm far more interested in are things like creating experiences because they really impact the human side of the business mm. um, things like storytelling and content creation. Um, those are things that I kind of, you know, get excited about. Lovely. With pressures of general life, how do you manage the work-life balance and how important is that in today's society? Again, it's a good question. So pre-kids, <laughs> you know, when I set up my first company, I probably did 18-hour days mm. for about two or three years. Didn't even take a holiday. But you've got that drive and energy and commitment and you want to do it because when your first company is like having your first child, you know, you literally put everything into it all. And it's not till you get a bit older and a bit more mature and life happens and you start to realise there's more things. And I've got two kids. Um, they're 11 and 9. And so my time with them is my escape from work. Mm. I'm able to turn off completely with them, which I love. Um, we have remote working here within the office. I think most companies do. You can work from home any day you want. You can call in late, have a duvet day, work from home. Um, as long as the work gets done, we use the technology to support that kind of uh, flexibility. So I think more and more companies these days are offering that kind of 
work-life balance because everyone from the CEO down to the receptionist knows they've got stuff and shit that goes on in their life that mm. just needs to get done. And the more you can support them in doing that, the more loyal they're probably going to be to uh, staying with your company. Great. Um, I think there'll be a queue outside the office now when I'm leaving. Um, how important is it to have a marketing mentor and why? Okay, another good question. So, again, back in the day, mentoring wasn't something that was really prevalent within the industry when I was growing up. So, you kind of just plowed your own furrow, got on with stuff, and just you know took it on your shoulders and things went wrong, but you know took all the glory and things went right as well. I think in recent times, especially from the kind of the, the birth of the startup industry, mentorship and creating like a bear hug of services around people to help them on their journey has become more important. Um, I now look for mentoring in different types of ways. I look for uh, mentoring from uh, from a financial point of view. Um, I look for mentoring from just senior execs who've been in the industry who have not necessarily been on the same journey as me, but just get what life's about and where companies go. And it's a lot of universal themes that exist in business. So it doesn't matter if you've had a business in the 1920s, 1950s, or, or now. Those themes are still around people management, strategy, positioning, those kind of things. And, you know, people offer good counsel and wisdom who've been there before, for sure. Good sounding boards. Yes, yeah, absolutely. As a senior marketing leader, what is your guilty pleasure? So I've got to say, I'm a bit of a sucker for box sets. <laughs> So I do like to escape into Game of Thrones. Love that one. Um, admittedly, I do have a bit of a thing for Towie. <laughs> <laughs> Which no is way. probably my super guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I love all the American kind of, you mm. know, HBO type series. They're yeah. brilliantly produced, great script writing, and they do provide an escapism. Mm. Um, I've started listening now to more podcasts in the past 18 months. Oh, that's good. My journey to work is now not occupied by reading one of the metros or the newspapers, mm. but I try to spend that time learning something new or different um, through a podcast mostly. Lovely. Um, what do you listen to when you need to focus? What do I listen to when I need to focus? So in the past year, I've got into, and this might sound quite bizarre to some people, listening to what is known as, as theatre music. And so theatre music is, is based on uh, different sound waves that stimulate and reprogram the brain to think differently. Um, you might have heard them in spas or in meditation rooms. Mm. And it's just really about trying to manifest your mind to think less about the problems that occupy daily life and think more about the opportunities and what could be within your brain. Um, and so I, again, religiously listen 15 minutes every day to this specific theatre-type uh, music just to kind of get me in the right frame of mind to tackle the day. So your sort of way of being mindful, I suppose. And it is. It, right... it comes under that mindfulness and well-being yeah. category. And, mm. you know, it's nothing I would have ever considered when I was in my early 20s, but... <laughs> Now as I'm approaching the big halfway mark in life, I'm kind of more mindful of just trying different things mm. to see if it helps. Well, you've got to be open to it, haven't you? Absolutely. And uh, whatever works for you, that's, yeah. that's what's important. What's the book you recommend the most for B2B marketeers today? So I am an avid book reader. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 
26 and I set up Tidal Wave and I was trying to knock on the door of CMOs of big technology companies, I was thinking, why would they want to talk to a 26-year-old? They were mostly in their kind of, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And so reading became my weapon. I wanted to be best educated, the most knowledgeable 26-year-old they'd ever met. So I read everything, and some of the books that stick out today are um, The Crossing the Chasm, Inside a Tornado by Jeffrey Moore. If you're in technology marketing, they're still very good books to read in terms of a background of how the industry works. Good to Great by Jim Collins is probably still my go-to book on just general leadership and understanding. But the book that I've read recently that's probably been the best one of the last decade is a book called Play Bigger. Oh, I've not heard of that one. Yeah, Play Bigger is about how you go about creating a unique category for your technology business. And it's got some great tools and tips and techniques about how other tech companies have gone to being, you know, the biggest fish in their own pond rather than being a small fish in a bigger pond. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd recommend anybody who's got a tech business to read Play Bigger. It's full of really interesting ideas. Fantastic. Lovely recommendation. Thank you. What passing words of wisdom or advice would you share with our audience? I would say from a career point of view, I've been incredibly lucky to be in an industry that I've loved. Um, I have a creative soul. I think it's important that people understand what is it that really affects you on an emotional and a personal level to do the kind of job that you really do. So I feel very lucky that the creative industry has given me that. I've learned to love technology as a sector. It's been incredibly kind to me uh, from a business point of view. I love the fact that it moves so quickly. I love the fact that it's so complicated sometimes that intellectually it's really tough and you've got to really adjust your own brain. You've got to reinvent yourself all the time because the sector itself reinvents itself all the time. So those kind of things, knowing what's core to you as a person, if you love creativity, do a job that fills that part of your life. If you love detail, find a job that loves or fulfills that part of your life. Um, So, yeah, curiosity, being open-minded, loving what you do, those are things that really make me happy so fantastic okay well lovely lovely words of wisdom and advice there thanks ever so much for your time paul much appreciated you're welcome so there you have it career advice from a real marketing expert and leader in the field thanks for listening if you're enjoying this podcast then please leave us a review in itunes we'd love to hear your feedback 